You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to Accounted For. This is the podcast on a mission to expand your perspectives, question the status quo, and get you inspired to action for your own career. This podcast is part of OMD Ventures, my platform focused on building systems to optimize human performance. And as many of you listeners who are regulars know, this is a media platform that includes not only the podcast, but also a blog, a newsletter, and much more. And the platform continues to grow. So if you want to stay on top of of everything, I would recommend signing up to the weekly newsletter. You'll get a nice email every Sunday that includes everything from the weekly developments, including the essays and the podcast episodes, as well as any new developments happening and the daily learnings that I have every day. And this is very exclusive to the newsletter subscribers. It used to be fully public, but now I've made it exclusive. So if you don't want to miss out, I would highly recommend signing up. You can just go to omdventures.com slash stakeholder. And in that page, you'll also have an option to donate a cup of coffee to me as well if you really love what you're hearing with OM, with accounted for as well as what you see on the platform i would really appreciate it it helps support the growth of the platform as well so enough about me today's guest is drew green drew is the ceo of indochino indochino is a vancouver-based bespoke suit company and it's actually where yours truly got his first bespoke suit as well and there's a bit of vancouver pride involved in this as well and yeah that's once again, enough about me. So how does one become the CEO of a fast-growing suit company? Well, Drew started his journey as a kinesiology student with a love for basketball. So this is very far away from a passionate love with suits at a young age. He immediately took an entrepreneurial path to starting a personal training business right out of university, and he later sold it to travel the world and later on entered into the world of technology companies. A material influence to Drew's unique career journey has been Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist. It's a fiction book like no other, and I personally love this book as well. And we go through the various elements of the book that influenced Drew on his journey and how it also changed or might have continued to influence his current philosophies on business and life. Though this was a short interview, we try to traverse through the very windy journey Drew went through from his athletic years to the various technology companies he helped operate as well as um, co-found on his own, as well as his now current focus, which is Indochino. And we try to go through all the little nooks and crannies of decision points that really made his career what it is right now. So I hope my chat with Drew expands your perspective as you question the default and really inspires action. All right, enjoy the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Drew Green. Hey Drew, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Drew here is the CEO of Indochino. And so Drew, for our audience who may not be familiar with the company Indochino, how would you describe it? 
what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, Indochino is the, the largest custom apparel brand in the world. We, um, you know, we started the company 12 years ago and uh, we're a digitally native brand at the time. And, you know, over the past four years have really uh, accelerated the business quite a bit. Um, we now have 46 showrooms across North America, all launched uh, within the last four years. And uh, obviously a, a very very big online business drives about 68% of our business. We deliver to 100 countries, but our primary focus is Canada, uh, the U.S., and we just recently launched in Australia. But, um, you know, we're building a global brand, and uh, we're really proud of the fact that we're one of the fastest-growing brands uh, globally right now in terms of apparel brands. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty exciting, pretty fun. Yeah, and it's based out of my hometown here in Vancouver as well. Yeah, yeah, we. I love Vancouver, man. It's just it's not my hometown. I, I'm from uh, Scarborough, but uh, you know, I love love Vancouver. It's just yeah. an awesome place. Great place to raise my boys, and yeah, it's just a fantastic city. Oh yeah, I, I tell people that it's a great place to raise a family. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if we're starting out a career in, but um, that's debatable from different perspectives. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Indochino, I well, think we're I, hiring. Oh, okay, yeah. So if people are interested, want to move to Vancouver? Yeah, yeah. sign up. Um, but yeah, like I think. Yeah, I've got to say, I think Indochino was the first um, bespoke suit that I bought as well. I bought, I bought it like back when Indochino didn't have a footprint in Toronto. It was right. like a pop-up showroom, mm-hmm. and I knew it from back home. And I thought, oh wow, it's here now. And so yeah. that's when I got my first, uh, I guess, bespoke tailoring suit. But I read an interview where you talked about how you Indochino is really focused on trying to change and reimagine how bespoke tailoring works. So, mm-hmm. what's the difference from before and now? Well, I, you know, I mean, bespoke custom, you know, tailored apparel has, is not new, right? It's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, for, for many of those years of many of those hundreds of years, it was really only available to, you know, the elite, right? The Kings, the Queens, the professionals, etc., And it was just sort of out of reach to most, uh, from an affordability standpoint. And so, you know, a big part of our vision is to make it available to everyone, and to create a high quality, perfectly fitted, totally personalized, totally custom, really one of a kind garment at a, at a very affordable price. And mm. so, you know, for for us, that's been the key to key to our success. We are we are the largest, and I think, you know, we are really leading a charge of what I believe is is the future of apparel, which is going to be personalized and custom clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I was coming here to do the interview. I kind of imagined that the entire office would be decked out of pe- and people with beautiful suits. And I thought you would be at the pinnacle of the end. Right, here, right. Here right. we have you in some nice casual clothes yeah. and a New York Yankees hat. There we and, go. And, you know, uh, I think, yeah, like when I came into your office, I saw all this, I think, hockey, baseball, basketball memorabilia. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Got some baseball on TV. And so it seems that sports has been a very big part of your life, like just all throughout. Like you started mm-hmm. out in kinesiology at York University. Yep. You said you grew up in Scarborough. You played varsity basketball yep. at York. How how much of an influence was sports growing up? Well, I mean, first, first of all, with the office, we've got a lot of great, great people here at, at headquarters. We've got about 800 employees now. It's pretty... Uh, pretty amazing, and I'm just really grateful to all the employees that we have. But, um, you know, we don't have a dress code, and I just want people to be comfortable. We do have a dress-up day. Um, mm, and you I would, love that. You would catch me in a suit most days, but not today, So, and, and no disrespect for that. But, you know, to your question, I mean, sports has been, 
you know, sports has been an intricate part of my life, right? Like I grew up, uh, you know, single parent and just the best woman in the world. My, my mother, Catherine Harshaw, uh, raised me, teacher. You know, we grew up in a, in a fairly, I'll call it rough area in, in Scarborough, uh, West Hill initially, and then we moved up to northern Scarborough. And we just, you know, I didn't have a lot, right? We didn't, we didn't have much other than ourselves and, you know, what we could participate in. And I think the thing that I'm grateful for the most about that time, besides my mom and my grandparents, you know, is really the, the teachers that provided, you know, these extracurricular opportunities, you know, basketball. You know, there was a time in my life for over 10 years where I played basketball pretty much every day, right? Sometimes two hours and sometimes 10. And, you know, great coaches and some of my best friends even to this day are guys that, you know, I played with, won championships with, went to all-star games with. Um, and so sports was really, really an important part of my life. And, you know, frankly, I think is, 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 you know, part of the success that I've had, right? Like I learned how to work hard. You know, I learned how to, how to win, uh, how to be part of a team, how to play a role in a team, but also to lead a team. And I like, I, I kind of look back at it. And I think if, if I didn't have sports the way that I had it, you know, I certainly wouldn't have learned, um, you know, some of the things that are important, for example, being a CEO, right, or, or being a leader. And so I'm just very grateful. Um, and it is a big part of my life. And, you know, I think from that's not why we're doing it here. I mean, I've run many businesses. I've started many businesses, you know, specifically to, to Indochino. And I did an interview earlier this morning about it, actually. You know, guys love sports. Uh, and, so do, and so do women. Um Right now, we you know primarily sell to men, uh, but guys also love suits. Guys also love to dress well, and you know about three years ago we started testing with the New York Yankees, and that test went really well, and that turned into a multi-year agreement. And of course, we had to we had to bring in their arch rival, and they're now the official apparel brand of the the Red Sox. And you know, just recently, and then going back to my roots. You know, Rowan Barrett was a was a bit of a legend uh, in Scarborough, right? And he's a couple years older than me, but but definitely played against him uh, and played with him on, on an all star team. And you know, he was just incredible and somebody I've always you know admired and, and sort of watched from afar. And he, you know, when his son, um, you know, the opportunity came up and he you know declared to be a professional, his son, uh, and there was an opportunity to work with his son. We 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 grabbed that, and so. You know, we've got a multi-year agreement with RJ Barrett, Rowan's son, wow. uh, as one of our signature athletes. And so, you know, we're going to keep going here. I mean, we're, our, our media budget is a eight-figure media budget. We will be in around 6% of that media budget towards sports marketing. Mm. And I think if we continue to see the, the progress that we're seeing, you know, we'll definitely, you know, consider increasing that. Mm -hmm. And so while you were in school, you did kinesiology, so this... You studied and, you know, focused yep. on sports, you played sports, and right after that, you started your own personal training business. <laughs> wow, you know, uh, you know quite a bit, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're not a hard man to learn more about. You've done so many interviews. Yeah, but, yeah. And so when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, like it, it makes sense. Like, you know, sports is a big part, and you're doing personal training, and then you decide to sell the business and go traveling. Like, I think you sold it for like mm -hmm. $100,000, and you traveled bit, the world. A little bit more than that, yeah. 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 But... Um, yeah, I mean, my story from from that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by necessity, right? I, I uh, have always worked hard, um, but in university, you know, playing basketball, you just, 
and no scholarships at the time. I had scholarships to other other schools, but wanted to stay in Toronto. My mom had just had heart, open heart surgery and wanted to be home and make sure that I was there. And I, I couldn't afford school, right? And it wasn't wasn't a lot of money. Um, you know, tuition in Canada is affordable, but it was a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, transportation and food and, and everything else, it adds up. And so there was no way that I could just do school and play basketball and, you know, uh, think that that was okay. I'd end up with, you know, tens of thousands, if not close to $100,000 in debt. And so what I what I did instead was, you know, I had a passion for uh, exercise, uh, obviously working out a lot my, myself. So I got my certi- certification and was taking kinesiology, obviously. And, you know, I tried personal training and it just, I loved it, right? Like I was dealing with you know, successful people that I was learning a ton from, actors, actresses, lawyers, doctors, CEOs, and, and a lot of them became my friends. And, you know, as the business grew, I started hiring trainers and, you know, opened a facility. And then, yeah, we we ended up selling that business. And, I, the again, the honest truth is that I was pretty burnt out, right? I mean, at, at the end of school, I had, you know, I was waking up at 4 or 5 in the morning, training clients for three hours as well as my other trainers training clients going to school going to practice then training again for another two three hours and so my days were just constant right and so at the end of it all I was just like wow (laughs) you know when a time when most people are sort of thinking about what they're going to do with their career or start a business I just needed to take take some time and you know I had this book that influenced my life and still does that talked about the journey right it's called the alchemist and you know the importance of you know leaving home and discovering the world and you know going after your dreams but 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 most importantly i took away the importance of discovering the world and really you know getting out of your comfort zone and leaving home and and that's what i did right i went uh, got on a flight and 24 hours later was in australia and uh you know, was there for, for quite some time. And then I ended up living in Singapore and, uh, you know, couldn't come home without a few good weeks in Ireland, uh, where I'm from. So, or my family's from, so, you know, it was just an incredible experience. I think it was in about 25 countries, you know, over that year and a half period. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm 45 now. There's no way you have two kids that I want to spend every minute with. I have, you know, lots and lots of work to do every day and so there's no way that I could travel like that like there's just no way yeah. so it's it's a special memory and it was a special opportunity so then I'm guessing that when you were in Ireland you went to the uh, Guinness factory you, you must have gone <laughs> I, no I didn't I no, actually did I'm not a big beer guy actually Yo, I, I don't drink beer but you're Irish <laughs> I know what the heck is going on no I don't drink beer I I you know I um uh, lots and lots of different stuff I did I spent New Year's in Galway which is a memory I'll always kind of cherished that was just a crazy crazy night and then the next day we were on horses you know right on the water and it was just a yeah amazing amazing few weeks in ireland i love it and then i spent a couple weeks in paris a couple weeks in london and then it was time right time to come back yeah so and you mentioned the alchemist and paulo coelho's book alchemist Mm -hmm. is it's definitely one of my favorite books as well and it's it's funny these kinds of books like for the listeners who are not familiar it's one of those must-read books that kind of it's I think it's probably like timeless. I would say um, it's like one of those per- perennial bestsellers, and I right. found that it come it comes to me at times when 
like I need it, and it's, mm-hmm. it just kind of falls on your lap. Yep. And yep. I think I finished the entire book in a day. Yeah, you can. Yeah, for sure. It's a short beat, but you just get so immersed in it. And my books is filled with margin notes everywhere. (laughs) And I think you you mentioned that, I think, in the past interview that you've read it probably like a thousand times or something. Probably close to, man. Close to. And so, like, these books, as you constantly read it over again, I think a really good book, you learn something new each time you read it. So, how has that kind of message changed? Like, what? From the first time you read it in like 1995, I think you got the book to like when you read it now. Yep. What are some lessons that you continuously keep hold of and what are some yeah. new ones that you've kind of realized now? Yeah, I think I got the book actually about 25 years ago and the and the legend has it that my dad sent me that book on a, unaddressed. So I didn't know it was from him until years later. But, um, you know, the... Um, so it's a good question, right? It's a really good question because when you read it and you're that age, like when you're 20 years old and you read this book, there's there's captivating passages and parts of the book that you, you know, you pick out, you pick and you think about right away. But as you get older, you actually see them form and you see them come true, right? And so, you know, a great example, you know, of reading the book the first time versus reading it, you know, last month. If you remember that time where he... Um, you know, was in the bar or the restaurant and he trusted someone and they took his, you know, precious stones, right? right? It's all he had, right? He, he only had, you know, something or he only had this, this, this one valuable pouch of, of things. And so they took his, they took it all and it was gone. And there he was far, far away from home, um, you know, could have given up, could have gone back home. Uh, but instead, you know, he worked for, you know, the crystal maker, right? That crystal shop and made tea and, or excuse me, he made crystal and then he ended up selling tea. So he made that business better, but he could have given up, man. Like it was, somebody took something from him and it was, you know, it was kind of like he had to show resilience, right? He had to persevere and that resilience and that perseverance led to an amazing next step, Right. And so, for example, like when you read that 25 years ago, oh, that's kind of cool, right? Like you, you don't understand the magnitude or the importance of resilience, I don't think, at 20 years old. Uh, but you certainly, you know, as an entrepreneur especially, you know, understand that, you know, at 35, at 40, at 45, at 30, whatever age. I mean, I think one of the greatest skills you can, you can develop, and certainly I work on it with my boys, is resiliency, right? And, and persevering and, you know. It's not like anybody stole their their precious stones, but nothing in life ever goes exactly as you want or exactly as you planned. And you're going to hit tough times and people are going to do bad things to you. But you can either let it, you know, define you um, and and retreat and run away or you can push through, man, and and make it great. And Mm -hmm. uh yeah, and there's just so many of those types of things. I'll, I'll just give you another quick one. I know this is a long answer to your one question, but, you know, there's times in my life where there's just so much, there's so much going on, right? You've got so much work to do, um, and you're so caught up in all the things that you have to do, and, and you kind of, you forget to enjoy, right? And it's really important. Another passage from The Alchemist if you remember when, you know, the king gives him a spoon with oil on it and he says, go see my kingdom. 
and he goes around and he comes back and don't spill a drop of oil and he goes around and he brings the the spoon back and he didn't drop a, you know any oil he was proud but he didn't see the kingdom he didn't enjoy the journey he didn't you know he did as he was told but he forgot to enjoy the day enjoy the moment enjoy the week and you know even now i i kind of sometimes just step back a little bit and say whoa you know not so serious man like you gotta you gotta really enjoy this time like creating what we've created here you know there's there's amazing days and then there's tough moments um but you gotta enjoy every day you gotta you gotta be grateful for 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 that time and for that journey mm-hmm. and it's spoiler alert for people who've not read the book but <laughs> i know the, right the uh the main character goes on a search to find the treasure, his personal legend, and he eventually finds it. He finds this yeah. treasure. For you, do you feel like you've found your treasure? Or have you felt that you found your treasure in multiple moments in your life and you realize, maybe this isn't it? I know this is going to sound corny, man, but like I feel like my family is my treasure. So I mm-hmm. found it, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, you know, I think, you know, my, my sons, my wife... Uh, you know, the journey that we take together, the times that we spend together, you know, my boys are only 11 and 13, but they've got these massive dreams, these massive goals, and they're just working their butt off. And, you know, they're my treasure. I mean, I don't think, I can't think of one other thing that I want um, that would be any better than, than what I already have. You know, from a business perspective, I've certainly, I've always been very, very goal oriented and that served me pretty well. Um, you know, and I've got some pretty big goals uh, for the next 55 years. So we'll see what happens. We'll I, see what happens. I love that. I love that 55 year. Well, I'm living until I'm 100. Just yeah. spoiler alert for everybody out there. I'm, I'm living until I'm 100. So. I love it. Yeah. Like I, you know, I think one of one of my idols is Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway. And yeah, yeah. That man's working. I think he's 96 now, but he's still, so. still giving talks. Can't see out of one eye or one and a half eyes now. But yeah. It's amazing, right? Yeah, and that's the kind of admirable quality I, I want to eventually potentially have where I'll be working till I drop dead or something like that. Well, yeah, I, I've had this conversation with a few people throughout the years. And I just, I think the more you can have, like I think one of the keys to life is having goals, mm-hmm. right? Is having ambitions and things you want to achieve. And those things can be, you know, modest goals like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to walk through the Amazon, whatever the goals are. But but sometimes the bigger the goal you have, the more, um, you know, focused on it you are and the more you can really just, I think, even live longer, right? Um, I just, you know, just quick personal story. My grandfather, you know, he was one of my best friends. He's an amazing, amazing man, George Harshaw. He, you know, he worked till he was 79, right? Nah, it was part-time work, but he's still working. And the, like, six, within six months of his retirement, quote unquote, his retirement, when he actually stopped working, he had a stroke, you know, and I always sort of think about that. And I am like, man, I wonder if he kept working, you know, would he be, would he have been okay? Right. And I don't know. Nobody knows the answer. Nobody's going to be able to approve that. But your example of, you know, men that are in their nineties still doing their thing, you know, kind of leads me to believe you've got to always, you know, keep, keep dreaming. Oh yeah. I think there's actual like scientific evidence of just constant stress, like stress and learning, stress and doing things to actually aid the body and actually having a proper aging process. Yeah, um, that's a good one, man. I, I haven't heard that. I've heard all, you always hear and read about the detriments of stress, right, mm-hmm. on your health. 
But I kind of agree with that assessment. I think stress kind of keeps you up. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, like scientifically, and, it's hormesis. It's, yeah. it's just same with weightlifting. You apply stress, you get stronger. Like that's, that's right. You build muscle by breaking muscle. So that's in right. the first place. I like it. Yeah, I'm yeah. in. I'm in. And and so for you, like you, you've had this very like athletic background and you went on a trip, you saw the world. Yep. And after that, you've had a very also big digital, you know, retail marketing career. Mm. Um but that identity switch from going from someone who was in athletics to now going into this marketing realm, how? Well, I'm still going to play in the NBA. Oh, guys, okay, still right. My, okay, still yeah. One of my goals. Just, just for the record, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But, but I'm wondering, like, how how does that? Like, how did you kind of handle that kind of switch like, instead of going back into the athletics world? Because from my perspective, um, I've been competing in powerlifting for a very I can long tell, time. Man, you're a big oh, boy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I just like how you equate a lot of your athletic uh, experience to your current successes. I tell people, oh, because I was a part of that, I got to be an accountant, yep. hedge fund investor, like all that. Like part yeah. of thing led to that. But there's also this weird moment where after, like I ended up blowing up my knee after I won mm. the world championship. And sure. then I was like, all right, okay, so what is this identity of me now as an athlete, this like injured guy? Yeah. And I constantly still struggle with it of, Am I, I'm still training in powerlifting, but I'm not <coughs> the same as I used to be. Right. How do you hand, How did you handle that transition out from this athletic role that was so big for you into into like something completely different? I don't know. I I don't think I ever really associated myself. Like I never got caught up in thinking that I was like you know. I never associated myself as just an athlete. So mm. I was always doing lots and lots of different things. And I, I as you ask that question, the one thing I thought about, I'll just say, is I I kind of went cold turkey, right? Like when I started in in some serious businesses, I didn't play basketball every day. Like I didn't play every week. Um, I focused on my new game, right? Which was what whatever that business was or, you know, what I was doing. And so I'm kind of an all-in guy and, you know, uh, obviously kept working out and I would play, but basketball was such a big part of my life. I think, I think the way that I dealt with it is I just kind of, I just stopped, right? Mm. And I, I continued to work out but I certainly wasn't playing, right? Not the way that I was. And I don't know. I just think if you're going to have, like, your goals change. And for me, I never I never really looked at myself and said, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a basketball player. I'm a basketball guy. I just never associated myself like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe because I never played in the NBA or anything like that. Not maybe yet. I would have. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that's a... You know, that's an important skill for an entrepreneur, right? You've got to be able to quickly compartmentalize parts of your life and and be able to go all in when you're in those moments or in those in those ventures. And so, yeah. And so after coming back, you joined a company called Flow Networks, right. which eventually got bought up by, I think, DoubleClickCare. That's right. So you were there for about seven years doing all sorts of roles, I think, but yeah. primarily like the marketing realm. Mm-hmm. Like sales and marketing, and then sales, yeah, yeah, and then it got. I think they also got bought out by yeah. Google, yeah. and then you went to Shop.com, yeah, and then they even actually got bought out by yeah. Market America, and then after that, you saw, you said, okay, we're going to come back to Canada, and yeah. then you set up Shop.ca. That's right. And during that time, like you, you were in two companies that got bought out, and I'm sure you've had equity positions in them. So mm-hmm. I feel like you could have just said, okay, well, maybe I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. What made you want to come back to Canada and to for the audience that like you were in New York yeah, at that time? Yeah, yeah. You're coming back to Toronto now at, yeah. to start 
a completely different company or yeah. maybe even a competitor to yeah, shop.com. Yeah, yeah. So lots of lots of questions there. The yeah. the first thing is that I've been really fortunate, right? Like I've worked with some amazing people and just had some amazing experiences. I think, you know, look, I don't really um, money is very very important, and we all you know want to accumulate it, and we all want to um, you know create big things. But the thing that I've really craved and always am excited about is the is the actual journey going back to the alchemist mm-hmm. right like man i was a kid i was a kid in scarborough like we talked about right i didn't travel anywhere i mean you know i think my first flight was when i was i don't know 16 or 17 maybe later and so i had this big urge to see the world and i did that and then i want i remember being a kid and saying i want to live in new york and then here i was you know we sold the company and as part of that i got to you know move down to new york work with some amazing people, have the time of my life as a 20-something kid, you know, making a ton of money, but also having a ton of fun, you know, and I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in California, I've lived in Toronto, obviously, in Vancouver now. Um, That's the amazing part, right? It's not how many companies we've sold or how many we've built. I kind of, I'm most proud of, hey, man, I've lived in Australia, Singapore, Toronto, New York, Chicago, California, now Vancouver. That's awesome right? Like that, that to me is priceless. And, you know, look, I think uh, the CV is the CV. You see the companies that have been built, that have been sold, that have been bought back. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's an ongoing thing. It is, it is a journey, right? And along the way, you, you obviously stub your toe a lot, a lot of times. It wasn't all roses and butterflies, right? So, uh, but it's been a really, really special journey so far. I think the best is yet to come. You know, we've got um, got a holding company called DrewGreen.ca that's, you know, has 25 companies in it, 25 entrepreneurs that, um, you know, uh, I've invested in, I'm, I'm around, I advise. And, you know, I want to see all those companies have amazing success. And, and you know, Indochino obviously is the biggest and the, the one that I'm most focused on. So Wow. And after having lived in all these places, I think... A- big thing that people talk about is the power of the community and environment and Mm -hmm. helping shape who you are as an entrepreneur but also as an individual and Mm -hmm. i've met i've met other entrepreneurs on my journey who talked about how you know we've also talked about ambition and how you know moving from vancouver to toronto my idea was okay i'm going to move to a city that's bigger with more ambition more drive and then some entrepreneurs i meet in toronto will say well if you want capital ambition drive you got to move down to the states yeah but for you, you've kind of done a slightly backwards. You went from Toronto to New York and then now yeah, went yeah. through the big U.S. cities and now you're back in Vancouver, which yeah. by some people's metrics is a smaller city. Yeah. What is your opinion and viewpoint on that? Like how yeah. did you move to different environments being a small fish in a big pond compared to like being like a big fish in like a small pond? Yeah, so such a good question. And, and this was a question you asked previously just in terms of like why did I come back to Canada? So really, really... Clearly, I have two kids. They were in New York. Uh, we lived in Tribeca and, you know, had a great life, right? Um, but for me, it was really important to raise them Canadian. Mm. And I just wanted them, you know, I wanted them to know what it was like to, to be raised in Canada. And so that, you know, that was the single biggest reason why I started a company back in Canada and we moved back. Um, you know, and I also saw an opportunity to, to be part of something, right? Like I... Canada is, I think, the best country in the world. Um, I love the fact that we're multicultural. 
uh, and all of the things that are associated with Canadians. You know, even the the jokes around us being too nice and too polite is is amazing because we are, and that's something to be proud of. And so I wanted to raise my boys Canadian. I wanted um, the ecosystem for entrepreneurs to change. Uh, I wanted access to capital to change. You know, I think there's five companies in the history of Canada that have raised, you know, let's call it over 75 million uh, e-commerce companies. And two of those five were done by me. And so, uh, you know, I feel like I've been a big part of that that change. The access to capital eight years ago was was not like it was one-tenth, one-twenty-fifth of what it is now. And that's really amazing to see all these people come together and all these amazing entrepreneurs you know, dreaming big, big fish, big pond, I think would have applied maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago that we live in a global pond now. Right. And so whether your business is in the Valley or in Toronto or New York or Vancouver, you still have the same opportunity. I don't, I'm not going to ever subscribe to, oh man, we've got this business, you know, in Vancouver, we can't be, you know, as big as anyone else because we're in Vancouver or because we're in Toronto or because we're in Canada. No way. No way, man. It's a global, it's a global economy, and there are global opportunities. And, and it's upon us Canadians to think that way, right? To think about, um, you know, and to dream big about what they want to accomplish. And I see that all over the place, which is just, man, I love it. You know, it's so inspiring. You've spoken like a true ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Vote for. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But no, I totally agree. With you. I think. Like I've I've been very fortunate to call um, Toronto the six I think it's the sixth city that I've lived in in my own, oh, wow. own like short life. But that's amazing. Thank you. But I think the more even like when I travel outside of Canada and stuff, I constantly am reminded more that oh god yeah like the place I live is amazing. Like I start mm-hmm. seeing like mm-hmm. oh I can't believe that they don't have this or they don't have like X Y Z and I start missing at least for me, like Toronto more yeah. um, than more so like Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I think that's something like travel also gives perspective of not so much the desires, but also like being thankful and being um, grateful for what you have. Yeah. It's kind of like what you talked about with the piece in The Alchemist where you actually learn to see the kingdom of where you're actually mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. and you learn to stand still sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And... Throughout your journey, you started out as an entrepreneur, so you had all this freedom mm-hmm. that you know you get as an entrepreneur, and then you were an employee for a while, mm-hmm. and then you became an entrepreneur, and now you are a CEO of Indochino. Yeah. Um, how? What was this kind of motivating kind of factor that propelled you through this journey, going from like entrepreneur to employee, back to entrepreneur, and to now effectively, I guess, kind of a quasi of like employee slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I, look, I think, well, first, with Indochino, it's a restart up, right? The mm. company was was pretty much, you know, in a in a really tenuous situation four years ago. And, and you know, I saw it as an opportunity to, to, to try what I call a restart up. You know, the company was losing six, seven hundred thousand U.S. a month, um, you know, had kind of nine percent year over year growth for three years on average. And so it wasn't growing. It wasn't making money. It was losing a lot of money. And by no means was this a, a cushy opportunity. It was a high, high-risk opportunity. Frankly, probably more high-risk than starting a business from scratch because when you start a business from scratch, you know, all the payables uh, are, are in your control, right? You're not losing uh, five or $600,000 a month from day, from day one. And so, 
you know, this, this, uh, to me, this is a restart up. Uh, we reformed a board, we reformed a management team and, you know, I'm a pretty big owner of this business. So we, um, you know, I, I look at this as probably, uh, a different entrepreneurial experience than starting a business from scratch like I did, but, but certainly a very entrepreneurial experience. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer for you in terms of my journey. I just always, I always considered whatever opportunity I was in, um, you know, an opportunity as an entrepreneur, either to learn, um, you know, what others did and, and how I might be able to apply it to a market or to a segment or to an opportunity. Um, but like I said, and like we talked about, the first business I started was, was in university. And then the second business actually was with my, with, with my wife, you know, it was a real estate business. We started buying homes. Um, you know, we now have 25 homes across, uh, Ontario and you know, that's, that business is now, you know, 20, 20 years old. And that business has always been ongoing, no matter what we've, you know, what other things that we've been doing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think part of it, part of the answer is, you know, wanting to live in New York and wanting to have that experience. And Double Click was this just giant big startup, right? Filled with super, super smart people, frankly, changing an industry, right? Uh, changing the marketing industry. And so, um, yeah, I was just, I was always drawn to the experiences. That's, that's, I guess, maybe the best answer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really fortunate that there's been some really great experiences. And with those great experiences, uh, I think in one of the past interviews, you talked about how uh, big learning you had was the importance of picking the right partners. And yeah. so given that learning, what is what have you seen as the pattern that works out for you? Is it just listening to a gut feeling or mm-hmm. is it knowing someone for a set amount of time? Like what kind of patterns do you look for? In yeah, I don't think I don't think you're going to, you know, time doesn't necessarily define um you know, knowing everything about a person. I think mm-hmm. you truly have to go through really good times and really bad times to know someone. Um, and look, I think it's intuition, you know, and sometimes your intuition's right. Mine's frank, you know, luckily mostly right, but I've been wrong too, right? I picked the wrong partners or I, you know, put my faith in the wrong people. Um, uh, and, but it is a key, it is a key, you know, key ingredient to success at any level at any in any ecosystems kind of going back to sports right like you know a management team is like a basketball team right and everybody has a role everybody has you know a job to do in order to win the championship or to win the game or to win the tournament and you know we've got here at Indochino we just got an amazing you know management team one of our our CFO just had a baby this morning and Whoa. shout out to Morgan Jr. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's something you should have seen her stand up this morning. I mean, everybody was just so happy for, her. you know, and again, that's what's that's what's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have the the secret sauce or the secret advice about picking right, the right partners. I don't think time is the is the one I think, you know, you got to go with your gut. You got to trust and. You know, and you got to stick it out with, through tough times. I mean, probably my my greatest fault is my loyalty, right? I'm extremely loyal and sometimes believe in people too much. And that's cost me, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but I don't mind. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay that way. And in terms of advice, as we hit this final leg of our interview, mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you wish you had when you were 25, 25 year old Drew? 
Ah, uh, take it easy. Take uh, it easy. No, I I don't know. I don't I said that first because I think what you know, what I've seen and what I've experienced, especially these last 5 years, is the longer that I think about things and the more time I take to contemplate the right answer, the better the outcome is, right? And so patience is the word, right? I've really developed patience. My wife would laugh, but you know, like I didn't have a lot of patience in my 20s. I wanted to do it today. I wanted to do it now. I wanted to, you know, uh, you know, I wanted it all to, to just, and I'd work 12, 13, 14 hours a day, whatever it took. But what I've really learned is patience. What I've really learned is just how important, you know, family is, you know, and, and um, I don't know. I think, I think it's a little bit, you know, uh, it's hard to give advice to entrepreneurs without actually working with them because every, uh, every company, every venture is different. And, you know, the right advice is, comes from when you're actually know what they're going through or what they're trying to do. Um, maybe one thing that's just, you know, always constant in our house is just the, the need to work hard. You know, you can't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. And I'm not that smart, but you, you can't do anything unless you work really hard. And you gotta, you gotta do that day in and day out. Excellent. All right, Drew. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Very yeah. grateful. All right, guys, if you want to apply to Indochino, <laughs> go to Indochino.com. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. if you want custom suits, check that out as well. I love it. Yeah. All right. All Take right, care. man. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It Hopefully, it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully, it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com, and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content. But at the same time, also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, everything will still be free. It's just It would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this does, isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further 
So your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute. And so, yeah, just check out the website, go to the stakeholders page, and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right, thank you.